0: Um, yeah, so we're in Philemon, and one of the the reason we're here, and then we'll, we'll finish Colossians next week, is because Philemon is a member of the church in Colossae. Um, he's probably the host. Um, he's probably the guy whose house they were worshiping in. He's the guy who provided communion, who provided meals, um, and this little letter is written to deal with a broken relationship between Philemon, one of the wealthy leaders in the church, and Onesimus, one of the servants who has stolen, probably stolen from him, but either way he's left because of a relational breakdown. And the surprise for Philemon is Onesimus actually comes back. Right, with the letter of Colossians, that's what you get in chapter four, um, Onesimus comes ready to explain the, the letter with a guy named Tychicus, right? And Paul calls this guy who stole from Philemon, somebody who hurt Philemon, right? That stuff doesn't go away. He calls him a beloved brother. He calls him useful. He calls him my very heart. I mean, he uses this incredibly intimate language all to motivate and push towards reconciliation. So. We're going to read the short letter. It is co- collected to Colossians, and we'll finish Colossians next week. But this has a lot to teach us about wisdom for a specific set of, specific kind of broken relationship. But there's, there's wisdom there for what it means to be human, which is fixing what is broken, <laughs> uh, relational breakdowns. So let's, let's read it, and we'll pray. This is the word of our God. It says, Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker and Affia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. During my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bond servant, but much more, more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh? And in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. It my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, there we go, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today in his son. It is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, remind our hearts, our minds, our souls that we are beloved brothers and servants and friends following Jesus together. And, and I pray that as we learn from this experience, uh, this, this specific circumstance, Lord, that you would use the power of the gospel to change our hearts uh, that the power of the gospel would go out as a movement healing broken relationships and people would see Christ in us that way. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus, who is reconciling to himself all things in heaven and on earth, making peace through the blood of the cross. Amen. So earlier this year when there was nothing else to do and nowhere to go, <laughs> Disney decided it was a great time to release the, the musical Hamilton. I don't know how many of you saw it or, or tuned into that, so I'm going to give you a 215-year-old spoiler alert, right? This is his based on history. Hamilton dies at the end. Um, but Hamilton, if you're not familiar with the story, is, is a creative retelling of the historical events leading up to the famous duel between our third vice president, Aaron Burr, and one of our founding fathers, Alexander Hamilton, the former Secretary of State. It was a conflict that led Burr to shooting Hamilton. But there's another way to look at this political fight, right? Burr was Presbyterian. His father was a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor. His grandfather was the famous, well-known Northeastern pastor, uh, Jonathan Edwards, who helped lead revival across the country. So quite a legacy. Hamilton, at the time of the duel, was an Episcopal church member. So you have a a vivid, long-time example of two Christians following the same Savior who found it impossible to protect their honor and reconcile their differences. Commanded to forgive. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. These two guys couldn't reconcile. See, this little letter from Paul to Philemon is about the problem. Every Christian will have at some point in the household of faith some kind of conflict is going to come into your life with a brother or sister, maybe major or maybe minor. We have to learn how to reconcile and apply the gospel, put boots on the ground, so to speak, right where we are, right here today. Because that's what the church is. We're saved by faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. But we're not saved alone. Jesus puts us in a church family to live together. And so now you have a whole bunch of people, right? We're all in spiritual rehab, so to speak. Sinners and saints at the same time. So we should expect there to be differences. We should expect conflict, disagreements. Not look for it. That's a whole different conversation. We should expect to need this little letter's example to teach us how to reconcile. And I know even talking about forgiveness picks at some of your scabs and scars. But we want to ask this morning and ask this text, what do we do when we're like Philemon here, put on the spot and told, I want you to want to do this, to love someone the way Jesus loved you, to love another sinner. Do you want to do that? Right. Are you willing, as Pastor Jim pointed out? Do you have a willing spirit? And then how do you work out the reconciliation? Are you, know, are you able? And so this text, I think, is going to show us three things. There's, there's a lot here, but it's going to show us reconciliation is complicated. It's, it's revealing. And reconciliation is costly. And that's where we'll end. And so first, let's, let's look at how reconciliation is complicated and it really helps to, to jump in and see who Philemon is. Who is this guy in a public conflict? I mean, Paul addresses this letter not just to Philemon. He wants the church to be the witnesses. right? Um, Apphia our sister, is probably Philemon's wife, and it's possible that Archippus is their son. Um, but either way, they're church members. And he addresses the letter to the church. But Philemon, this is what, how Paul addresses him. In verse 1, you're our beloved fellow worker, which is another way, it could also be translated friend, in service of the gospel with Paul. Philemon is Paul's friend, a beloved friend, someone Paul cares deeply about. Philemon is working in Colossians, in Colossae, in, in, in ancient Turkey, to make Jesus known. So he's Paul's friend. In the verse 19, he says, Paul, Paul says, you owe me yourself, which probably means that Paul is the one who first showed Philemon Jesus and led him to faith. So there's an intimate relationship here. Paul is Philemon's mentor, a father in the faith, someone who discipled him and modeled for him how to follow Jesus. There's history here, Right? And so to start out with how complicated this is, I think a great takeaway from this, the beginning of this letter, knowing how hard reconciliation is to accomplish in all its gospel beauty, is you need help. We need someone else to walk with you in the journey. Right? Someone like Paul who says to you, who says to me, this is what it looks like right now to believe the gospel. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's starting a conversation. Maybe it's someone come alongside you and say, you need to stop whining and just do it. (laughs) I'm quoting someone who said that to me, right? And so that's the question is, do you have someone, a friendship in Christ, in the local church, who's able to come alongside you when you're in conflict, who loves you enough to be honest, and say the gospel is calling you to do this? I mean, that's my prayer regularly for the church, that we would be a community of friends following Jesus together. And, and friendship is a thick friendship, not just acquaintance level. Right. That you and I, as we grow in our maturity and our understanding of the gospel and how to live it, and someone says to you, okay, go do this because this is what Jesus tells you to do, you can then, as you learn, teach someone else. Right? That the wisdom you gain through your conflicts is given to be shared with someone else. Paul knows. Did you notice he was at the end of this letter? Verse 24. Epaphras sends greetings, but so does Mark. And in the book of Acts, there was a very public breakdown in relationship between Paul and Mark, where they couldn't come to agreement, and they went their separate ways. We didn't have ears on that conversation, but at some time they came back together and are working together again. Right. Paul knows. So Philemon's a friend of Paul. Philemon's also a comfort to many. He's a great, he's a pillar of the local church, if you could put it that way. I mean, it seems like everyone around saw Philemon as a great guy. A friend, he's relationally successful. Verse 7 says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Philemon, his house, is like a spring of fresh water in the hot wilderness of suffering for others. He's he's an embodiment of Christian hospitality. And that word refreshed sounds kind of weak, you know, a cup of cold water. I mean, that, that sounds great when you're really hot. But it doesn't portray the strength of what Philemon has done for the saints, Because that verb for refreshing has military origins. It's the kind of refreshment you want and an army needs after marching all night through the miserable cold. You're exhausted, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're in the middle of a war so you're already anxious about facing death and, and trouble. And along comes somebody with food and friendship, a refuge, someplace safe. That's that's what it means to refresh hearts. Right? To be a Christian is to be a soldier. (laughs) Paul uses that language here. To be seeking to be faithful to Jesus, but just getting worn out in the process. We need refreshed. And so when you could come to find Leman's house and find rest, find welcome, find hospitality, food, friendship, you could hear of the grace of God in Christ as he was discipling others, refreshing people with the gospel, with his with his person. Right. And then you get verse six, where Paul prays that his sharing of his faith would be effective. Right? And, and the sharing is a, is a deeper word. It's, it means, it's koinonia, it's fellowship. It's this deep bond, like blood brothers in the trenches. Right? Philemon is somebody who has bonded in himself to other Christians, helping them see the heights and depths of Christ's love for them. That they might together see these things every good thing we have in Christ. Right. So you get the idea, right? Philemon's a good guy. He loves Jesus. He loves the church. This is the kind of the person the gospel forms us into, right? that we might be a refuge for others. Um, but just because he has all those positive attributes, it does not uh, immunize him against conflict. Right. He's got this broken relationship, Onesimus. And we don't know if He was just a harsh taskmaster, and Onesimus got sick of it and stole. We don't know. We just know that there's some kind of breakdown. Onesimus bailed, most likely taking something, because Paul's talking about repaying him. And this is where you start to see reconciliation is complicated. Because we're all commanded, no matter who you are, no matter how successful you are as a friend, to pursue reconciliation. And it's going to come to your house at some point. It's one thing to believe. Like Colossians 1 says, Jesus is king of everything, reconciling everything in heaven and on earth, making peace through the blood of his cross. That sounds wonderful. He's fixing the world. And then he comes along to Philemon and to us and say, now I'm fixing the world through you in your living room. Reconcile with that brother or sister in Christ. Use the grace you've received to forgive someone else. Philemon's name has to do with being an affectionate friend. And so there's an irony here where Paul's saying, you've aimed that at me, now aim that affectionate friendship at Onesimus, the one who hurt you. So... Expect the complication. That's, that's part of this. Jesus told us to expect it. He modeled it. Jesus, the perfect man, was, was in conflict. Just read anything about his interactions with the Pharisees. We follow a crucified king who was unjustly beaten, killed, forsaken, crucified, dead, and buried in order to forgive us while we were yet enemies. The one who says, as I have loved you, now you, you love one another. So the implication is, therefore, we're going to have to go through this complicated mess we call reconciliation. Right? Talking about Philemon, but maybe you're in Onesimus' shoes. We haven't talked, that, talked about that yet. You're the one. You're the man or the woman <laughs> who's blown it. That, too, is true of us. You know someone's angry with you because of what you did, and you have to go stand there, humble yourself, and be at the mercy of another, deciding whether or not to forgive. It's, It's an obvious point, but we're gonna be in both places, or maybe you currently are, in need of forgiveness and needing to forgive and so my question is do you have the strength to do that? It's uncomfortable. I know humility goes a long way and that really is the problem on both. <laughs> both parties. Um, I'm laughing because I'm laughing at my own inability to be humble. All right. I don't want to admit I'm wrong and I don't want to let someone else win And so when I came across this letter by Pastor John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, and he's writing about what it feels like to be an actual sinner, a Roman 7 sinner, the one who says, Romans 7, which says, the evil I should not do, I still do, because I want to. And Newton writes it this way, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know what? This is a pastor. Evil is present with me. My heart is like an open highway, like a city without walls, which means this evil can obtain access at any time or at any place to my heart. And not even knowing a lot about the Bible, preaching the gospel, taking communion, can exempt me from being invaded by any kind of evil. He's saying I'm a sinner. And then he goes on, he says, I find something in me that cleaves and cherishes things I shouldn't. Something I ought to be horrified by, like someone put a poisonous snake in my bed. I should run away, but I choose to hug the snake. And then he writes to his friend, surely when you see yourself this way, you must be the least of saints and the chief among sinners. And this is all true, despite all my efforts to be better. Did you hear what he said? I love Jesus, his grace is amazing. I'm forgiven, but there's still this really ugly thing that makes me vulnerable to any kind of sin. When you apply that to our text; that means I'm gonna—I could get myself in trouble real quick. So, do you see yourself there? I know if I—if—if if I don't see that great potential in myself, that makes humbling myself to ask for forgiveness or to offer forgiveness. Becomes much more difficult. Right. So, this says we are called to receive and welcome others as Christ has welcomed us, and He welcomed us when we were not well. Reconciliation's complicated, right. it's messy. Goes even deeper as you you dive into this letter. Onesimus, for just by returning legally, he could have been put to death. The the punishment for runaway a runaway slave was crucifixion. He could be legally killed for his crimes. And now, as a Christian, he has Paul interceding on his behalf. And it's because Onesimus has someone cheering for him, interceding for him that he returns because of Christ, that he's become useful. Right. Onesipa's name, that's what it means, useful. And so put yourself in Philemon's shoes to feel the complication here. You have the power, you have the right to keep him at a distance, to push him away, to set up boundaries, to even punish him. Because when you think of this person that hurts you, that's all you can think of. They are what they have done to me. But Onesimus, we don't know much about him other than he took the cur- He had the courage to return and face the music. He's repented. Literally, he was running away, and now he's turned around and come back. So whatever that looks like in his life, he's, he's willing to own it. And so that's what makes reconciliation so hard. Not only do I need to see myself as a sinner and a saint, Loved by Jesus, but now, as you go further into the letter, verse 15 and 16, you also have to see other Christians differently, and that's what Paul is calling Philemon to do. See your brother and sister in Christ as more than what they did to you. See them as family. Look at verse 15 and 16. That you might have him back forever, no longer as a servant or a slave, but as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. A beloved brother is a way of saying, have him back as someone that Christ has taken the blows of justice for and has adopted him into the family. He is loved as Jesus is loved, as you are loved, as I am loved. Therefore, take him back. So, it's complicated, isn't it? This is, is this something you want to do? Are you willing? Who are you thinking about right now? And I know this probably has 101 other questions running through your brain, because what if they aren't asking forgiveness? What if they don't come back? What if they aren't apologizing? What if they still aren't safe? What if they can't change? What if they refuse to change? How many times should I forgive? Right. What's the limit? Seven times? 70 times seven? How blunt should I be? Some of us are are really blunt and some of us um, are terrified to be blunt. But it helps to see this letter is addressing a specific situation. A Christian who has been sinned against and is being called to reconcile with another Christian. So if you have other questions, we'll be happy to talk and pray through these things with you. But it is complicated. Second point, reconciliation is revealing. Right? If you're if you're human, you've been in conflict, and then either right in the thick of it when your blood pressure is sky high, or in the immediate aftermath, you've had this question Why and what in the world was that for? Right? Why me? And why did that happen? Did anything good come out of that? That's what makes verses 15 and 16 An interesting way to think about conflict in the church, right? He says, perhaps, he says, perhaps this is why Onesimus was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Perhaps the conflict that is not good happened so that he might come to faith and you might now embrace him as a brother. Which seems like Paul is saying Onesimus wasn't a Christian before, even though he was in a Christian household. He heard sermons. He, he heard the Bible. He heard, probably heard Paul teach. No, he, wouldn't, he would have heard Apophorus, the guy who started the church. I get that correct. Right? But either way, he's heard about Jesus, and it didn't affect him until he became a real sinner when he finally blew it himself and realized he needed grace. And so Paul is saying to Philemon, perhaps... God is using this conflict for the good of Onesimus, and that's why he allowed this misery to happen to you. Therefore, forgive. You get someone to serve you, not just as a servant, but as a brother. Someone you'll be sitting at Christ's table with forever. (laughs) So, think about our own breaks in the church. Maybe these breakdowns happen so that you and I might come to know the grace of God more deeply, personally, so that another person might come to faith or learn to apply the gospel in their own circumstance that in a way they've never done before. Look at, look at verse 17. Paul says, Paul says, If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Onesimus is loved by God, he's loved by Jesus, and I, Paul, love him. Will you, because you want to, love and receive them back? He says, I could tell you what to do, but it's so much better that you want to do it yourself. It's a parenting win when your kids do (laughs) something you've always wanted them to do, and they volunteer to do it. Paul's taking that attitude of love with his friend. And that's where it's revealing. Will you do it? I mean, what good can come out of your conflict? I think reconciliation reveals our faith. It helps, it forces us to live by faith, does it not? When another Christian says, Will you forgive me? You are forced by faith to trust that they have put their trust in Christ and they really are, beloved brother or sister in Christ. You can't see it, you can't see their heart, only God sees the heart, so you're forced to live by faith as you trust their confession. And you're also called to live by faith as you trust (laughs) that Jesus has forgiven your sin. Philemon had to trust that Onesimus was really a beloved brother, and Philemon has to trust that this conflict was part of God's plan to grow the church, to mature them in the gospel. So, I'm so that's why I'm, I'm using this word intentionally, perhaps. Right? Perhaps these things happen to deepen our faith, to see if we believe at all. I mean, To see if there's fruit, to see if you want to do what Jesus says. Reconciliation forces us to live by faith in Jesus, who was crucified unjustly and entrusted in himself to his father to, to fix the mess even as he was put in the ground to be raised again. We're called to do the same. Another way to say this is reconciliation reveals our fighting style. <laughs> right, some of us are wired differently. When conflict hits the, hits the fan, so to speak, right, you want to do nothing, then just duck and cover, run to your bedroom, stick your head under the pillow. Um, Anxiety just spikes, your gut goes in, in knots, right? I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to be here, this, this stinks. What good could come out of this? Others, uh, others of us, when conflict hits the fan, they're like, yes, let's do this. <laughs> out comes the broadsword, and they, they scream like Braveheart into battle and hate losing. And right, then you're up there with Aaron Burr ready to fire. My honor is at stake. How dare you destroy my honor? And often those two are married. <laughs> and so what good comes out of this? Well, if you've got to live by faith, the gospel's drawing the hiders out of hiding to say, okay, I'm called to reconcile, which means I have to talk to the person who's either apologizing or I have to ask forgiveness for him. Us hiders have to trust that Jesus will defend you even if the conversation doesn't go well. That his acceptance of you doesn't change and you love him enough to try. That takes time to be willing to speak the truth in love. I think we who are quick to fight, quick to fire with our words, right, we have to learn to trust that Jesus is work, at work in them, too. We said it this morning. Um, he who began a good work at you will bring it to completion. If they're a brother and sister in Christ, God's at work on them, too. So you've got to swap those painful words for gracious words, seasoned with salt. Are you willing to lose to gain a brother or a sister? Reconciliation's revealing. And this is how we'll tie this together. It's complicated. It shows us what we're really like when you're in the midst of conflict. And then, lastly, what does it take to, to pull these pieces together? It's expensive. It's costly. It hurts. I mean, Paul's putting a lot of gracious, warm, compassionate logic at work to get Philemon to want to do this. Verse 17, if you consider me your partner, receive receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, I'll pay for it. You owe me yourself, but I I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart the way you've refreshed others. May your faith give me rest, is part of what Paul is saying. It's pretty astounding. You love me, love Onesimus. Receive him as if I were in your presence. It's costly. I'm going to pay for him. I love him enough to pay for him. If he has wronged you, charge it to my account. I'll pay for the harm he has done to you. I mean, Paul's really putting himself on the line for this guy. you You can picture how this would go, right? You put your name, your reputation at stake on someone else, and Philemon says No. And now he's at odds with Paul, his friend. Paul's making himself vulnerable. And that's the point, is the only way for relationships to stay together, for reconciliation to happen, someone has to pay. Someone has to pay. Forgiveness is free for the person who receives it. But someone has to pay expensive and costly to the one who reconciles because the offended has to bear the wounds for the sake of love and Paul's willing to pay it pay the financial cost but only Philemon can pay the emotional, spiritual cost of bringing Nissimus back into his life but if he would do so Paul's telling him to refresh my heart how do you do that? Is it not encouraging to hear of someone else actually do this? <laughs> when you're a Christian, and things are going well, and you see someone else live by faith, uh, actually put together and forgive something horrible that you can never imagine forgiving, that's refreshing, because it gives me hope that my situation can change. All right? We say things like the Holy Spirit is working. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is able to be seen. Aslan's on the move, as some people say. Right? We see evidence of Jesus working in someone else. Right? Think of the famous story from ages ago. The five missionaries killed in Ecuador. They went to go tell the Waldani people about Jesus in the, in the jungle. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, they're speared to death. And then in front of the whole watching world, the wives go back to preach the gospel to their husband's killers. To the same village. And then you see reconciliation happen. The man who killed Nate Saint, the the original missionary, becomes a Jesus follower, Minkaye, becomes reconciled to the family. He becomes a father to Nate's son, Steve. He becomes a grandfather to Steve's children. Uh, one of Steve's grandchildren is actually named Menkaye. He is, he is now the former murderer of Steve saint, just written into the family's history. Because they applied this, <laughs> receiving someone else for Christ's sake. See, the saint family had to choose to receive Menkaye as Jesus received them. Even as Jesus had to trust, had to change the heart of Menkaye so he could come back and ask for forgiveness. Right? I mean, you can see how this works. And the way you get the strength to do that is to believe the gospel. This is, this is astounding. Right? Do you know what it took for you to be a part of God's family? Right? This is what happens in the gospel, this is why it's good news. Jesus. The God-man, the perfect human, says to God the Father as he sits in heaven right now, Father, receive them as you have received me. That's how he prayed in John 17. I want you to love them as you have loved me before the foundation of the world. They have debts. Yeah, they're, they're selfish. They don't play well with others. They have an unpayable debt to you, Father. Charge it to my account. I'll pay it. Yes, I know it's going to require me to go to the cross and I'm going to have to be obedient and I'm going to have to suffer every step of the way. I'm even going to have to pay the just judgment for runaway slaves, crucifixion. I'm going to have to forgive them. But as I pay that cost, I will gain them as brothers and sisters forever. Eternal life. That's the gospel. And as you believe that Jesus has really done that for you, that gives us the strength, the desire, and God willing, the willingness to work through this complicated thing we call reconciliation. If you have been received by God for Jesus' sake, we are called to receive others for Jesus' sake. And may God give us friends who are willing to tell that to us. So, did Philemon take him back? I don't know. Paul says, I'm coming. (laughs) It's kind of a little added pressure there. Get ready to to host me. But he, he leaves it up to Philemon to decide to live by faith. And he does end with saying, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's like a last nudge to say, may you have the strength from God to do this. But he also says, I'm trusting that you may do more than even that I ask. What would be more than take him back as a servant? Maybe it's a subtle hint. You'll set him free. He was your slave. You get him as a brother. Treat him like a brother. Set him free. I mean, some people think that's what happened. The second bishop in Ephesus, in in the city of of Ephesus in the first century, was a guy named Onesimus. It's a common name. It could be wrong. But it is possible that not only did Philemon take Onesimus back for Paul's sake and Jesus' sake, but gave him freely, and Onesimus then became highly useful to Jesus, the church, and other Christians. And that's why we forgive Because when we forgive someone else, they go and tell someone else. And all of a sudden, that one act of forgiveness at the cross becomes a worldwide movement, and here we are, called and asked for love's sake to do the same here in our living room and in our church. May the grace of Christ give you the strength to do what Jesus is asking you to do. Let's pray. Father, I know this is a hard thing to, to bear the cost to love someone else, and I pray that as you show us our weakness, uh, the grace we have received, you will give us the courage, uh, the humility, the confidence in the gospel to love one another as you first loved us. And we pray this. We pray desperately for your spirit to help give us wisdom, to know what words to use, uh, when, to, when to get close, when to draw away, how to do this. We we ask that your will will be done in our relationships here on earth as it is in heaven. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.